In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to conduct a census of the Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone travelled back to their original hometowns to register, including Joseph. He went up from Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem in Judea, because he was from David's family line. He took Mary, his fiancée, with him to be registered, and she was pregnant. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to have the baby, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And because there was no room for them in the inn, she wrapped him in strips of cloth and used an animal food trough for his cradle. In that part of the country, there were shepherds who stayed out in the field over their flock. Without warning, one of the Lord's angels appeared to them, and the blinding brilliance of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen, I am here to bring you news of great joy, which is for all the people. Today, a Savior has been born to you in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a child wrapped up in strips of cloth and lying in a food trough. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a vast company of the heavenly armies praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. You're out there in the, out camping, you know, and uh, suddenly angels start showing up and a heavenly host of angels show up. Uh, and it turns out that they're not there just to scare you. They're actually there uh, to tell you about the good news. Last week we talked about hope and how they were waiting for the birth of the king that would change the world, a different kind of king that would, that would come. And, and here are these shepherds out there, and it happens. They're there for that, that moment. What an amazing time. What a big uh, announcement for them. And you can kind of see it from God's perspective. I mean, the Savior of the world has been born how do you get the, get the word out? I mean, they didn't have Facebook or Instagram or, you know, telephones or you couldn't take out an ad campaign. Hey, the Savior of the world is born. Everybody come. Uh, they, 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 so they had this heavenly announcement and, and it, it was world changing for them. And the interesting sort of thing, though, I mean, we can get kind of caught up in the drama of that. And I, I like the drama of that, of angels that show up. And I love the, the translation they used an army of angels, an army of the heavenly host, he said. So it wasn't just one or two. It was like a whole bunch of them, uh, and they're talking about what, what's happened, and they're praising uh, God. But as interesting as that kind of drama moment is, the, the more interesting point in some ways, at least for me, is who they came to. They came to the shepherds to make the announcement. And the shepherds are the bottom of society. They're the lowly ones. They're the average people. They're the people that nobody thinks all that that much of, you know? Uh, and you would have thought if the king of the world, the king of all creation has come into the world, that you would have started with the important people at the top of society and the rich people and the influential people. But, but that's not the way God's kingdom did it. God came to speak to those that, that were at the bottom. And so here's good news. God came to talk to people like us. I don't know that any of us are like really important by the world's standards. I've never seen any of you on the news or, you know, when major events happen, people don't poke a microphone in your face and to get your opinion. 
We're all, honestly, we're all shepherds. We're all just kind of doing our thing. We're average folk. And yet God communicates not just by what is said, but with who he says it to as to who's important in his kingdom. It's one of the reasons it's really interesting that when, when Christ is raised from the dead, it, it's not even the disciples that are first to tell people about that. It's the women that tell people about that. And so uh, in the midst of all this drama, I just want you to know God loves you. God loves you. Even if you don't think very much of yourself, even if you struggle with self-esteem, even if you, all of that sort of thing, you find all kinds of reasons why God shouldn't love you, God loves you. That's a part of this message, of this big, wonderful thing. Another difficulty in this big, wonderful thing, though, is that the message of the arrival is, is so big and so important that sometimes we kind of miss the blessing that the angel pronounced on, on all of that. After they said, glory to God in the highest, they said, and peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so the, the second Sunday in Advent um, is all about peace. And the angels blessed it. Is, it is the gift. You know how when, when you know, people have babies, you give them gifts, or birthdays, you give gifts? There's this thing where God gives gifts to us when, when he does big things. And so Jesus is coming. You'd think that'd be enough right there. But, but no, no, no. It doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on, or God moves on and says, I'm going to bless the world with the peace that comes from me. And there's, there's all kinds of different peace. You know, last week we talked about the fact that hope, the English word hope, doesn't work very well with what the Greek and Hebrew mean by hope. And the same is true with the word peace. The English word peace, it, it tends to be about, you know, calming things down or quieting things or, or the absence of, of something, you know? So, so the classic one for me is, is watching mothers of, of small children. There, there are very few people that have less peace than mothers of small children. In fact, in our church, several of them have said they actually go to the bathroom and lock the door so that they can get peace, right? You know, it's like, I just need a few minutes of silence. And usually isn't very long before there's a, Mom, can I come in? I won't bug you. Can I come in, Mom? You know, and, and peace, the, the absence of all, all of that. Or, or for me, honestly, I'm, I'm sensitive to noise, so I was always telling the kids to be quiet because if there's too much noise, I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't, you know, some people that doesn't bug, but for me, part of peace is the absence of noise. Or there's much bigger things like the absence of war. Or, or maybe more personal things like the absence of conflict in your home. I, I worry these days when we're in restrictions that the data shows that, you know, as we're in our homes more, that there's more tensions in marriage and there's more tensions in relationships between the generations. Or maybe it's more internal. Peace means not having anxiety or, or, or freedom from worry or freedom from fear. But, but however we talk about it, in English, we generally when we talk about peace, we talk about the absence of, of something. And, and yet that's, that's a, certainly a part of the, the Hebrew idea, but there's so much more than that. When the angels proclaimed peace, it was more than just the absence of bad things. And the, the shepherds understood it the same way. In fact, the Hebrew word, you're all familiar with this, for peace is shalom, and it means God's peace. Say shalom. Yeah, God's peace. And it carries the idea on the positive side of wholeness or completeness or soundness. Something is solid, it's sound. Or health or safety or prosperity. And, and I read a, a commentator that, that really really opened my eyes on this one. He said that the idea of shalom carries the implication of permanence. And I thought, that's really good. 
the implication that God's peace is not transitory. You know, it, it, it's permanent. He gives it to you. You can't lose it. You can't misplace it. The outside world can't take it away from you. You know, unlike that mother huddled in the bathroom hoping for just a few minutes before the crush comes back in, the shalom of God is something that lasts. It, it, it's permanent. In fact, there's some differences between peace and shalom. The English word peace, one can dictate peace, but shalom is a mutual arrangement. Peace is temporary, but shalom is permanent. Peace can be negative, the absence of commotion. Shalom is positive, the presence of serenity. Peace can be partial, but shalom is whole. Peace can be piecemeal, but shalom is complete. In fact, shalom was the condition of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's part of the reason we have that story is we see what God intended it is a place of peace, a place of beauty and love and wholeness and life that's a part of it. And of course, when they sinned, then they ruined it for all of us. They shattered the peace and the world has never been peaceful in that same sense ever, ever since. It's part of the hope and the waiting process was that the Prince of Peace would come to restore things to the way they had intended it to be. And so... Here's kind of my definition of, of the difference. I've kind of grappled with this about a little bit, but the English and Hebrew, uh, here's, here's what I think. Shalom is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus. Shalom is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus. Let's read this together. Shalom is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of, of Jesus. You see, peace in the English sense is external, but shalom is internal. It's something God does in us. Shalom is, is with you even when the world around you is in turmoil and conflict because Jesus is in your heart because of the peace that he gives. So we live in a world that is, has no peace, that, that has all kinds of struggle and pain and suffering and war, and, and, and yet for the people of God, there is this shalom, there is this inner thing, this, this peace. Shalom is not about our circumstances, it's about our God and how he works. And the shalom we carry in us in, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the, the difficult sorts, sorts of things. And, and you'll see this in God's people, this, this crazy kind of peace, even when they shouldn't have peace. Pastor Joni this week posted on her Facebook page, and if you're not friends with her, I encourage you to do that. She, she asked this question, when were you closest to God? And I thought, you know, people are going to say, well, when I got the big promotion or when this, you know, those good sorts of things. But that, that's not what happened at all. People began to share that they felt closest to God in what are the deepest, darkest, most awful moments of their life. Several people shared that they were closest to God when their children died. I, I just can't imagine. They, they felt that closest, that there's something about the peace of God that breaks into the most difficult of circumstances. Several of them shared about when other loved one dies or when terrible sorts of things happen to them. And I'll tell you, I've experienced that myself in my walk with the Lord. I, I feel closest to the Lord. The, the peace of Christ is, is with me being the most in some of the deepest, darkest times of my life. I shared with you a while back that when I was in the hospital taking treatments for a very deadly cancer, that, that God's presence was there in an unusual way that I couldn't explain. There was a, there was a peace. It very well could have been the end of my life, but there was a peace that came from God. It's just extraordinary. But to say it another way, um, oops, sorry, <laughs> let's back up one. Uh, peace is upon us because Jesus is with us. 
peace is upon us because Jesus is with us. In fact, over and over again, let's back up. Are we stuck back there? I think we're, we're having trouble with computers today. Um, over and over again, God says, I am with you. Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere he goes. And the implication is, you don't need to be afraid because God is with you. Don't worry, you're on God's side. Why, why are we concerned about that? In fact, he goes on, don't worry, you know, God is with you. Don't be afraid, God is with you, all of these things. And, and it's because God is with you. In fact, um, he, he goes on to say, get this, you can never get away from God. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, 13, 15 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So next slide. Um, and, and the context of this is super important. It, it is uh, put your trust in God and, and he will be with you no matter what. And so the, the word leave and the word forsake, they're kind of the same in English, but, but in the original language in Greek, the word leave has the idea of to send back. It's like if somebody's not cutting it, you go on a hike and they can't make it and you send them back. You got to go back. You can't make it. He, he will never send you back. He will never stop your journey. Or, or it means to put your, um, to, to relax or to loosen. It's kind of like the idea there of, of someone that's guarding something and they let their guard down and bad things happen. He will never let his guard down, you know, uh, give up on or omit. And here's one that this commentator said that I, I really died. The idea of God leaving you. He, carried, he said it carries the idea of to let something sink. God will never let you sink. That is good news. And it don't matter that the storm is blowing and it's raining like it's the Midwest and, and the boat is tossed about and there's boats taken on water and all of that. God will not let you sink. God is with you through, through all of that. And the, and the word forsake is kind of similar, but it kind of carries the idea of when you're under pressure or under attack. And it carries the idea of abandon. God will never abandon you or desert you or leave you in straits or leave you helpless or uh, utterly forsake or leave behind or, or, or leave, you know, uh, to, to, to leave to, for you to survive on your own. God is always, you couldn't get rid of God if you wanted to. He is with you always. Never have I ever left you. Any of you ever played the game, never have I ever you know, it's, you kind of try and figure out something that you've done that nobody else has ever done. You get points for figuring that out. So God says to you, never have I ever abandoned you or left you alone or left you in a place to sink. Never have I ever. In fact, this is such a, a big thing uh, that uh, God actually takes a name that means this. And so uh, in the Bible, there's a, this word Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, yes. And so, I mean, that's kind of a thing for us. We think about names, but, but in English, for the most part, names are just so we can distinguish each other from one another, at least in America, right? You know, you're Craig, you're Bob, you're George, you know, we don't really think about it. It just makes sure that the male gets to the right person at home, right? You can tell the difference between the two, you know. But, but in the ancient world, that wasn't like that. In the ancient world, names were considered a, an identifier of character, it was literally who you are. You, you are what your name meant. And so to take on a name was to, to express something about your very character, your very being. It's, it's why in both in the Old and the New Testament that people have encounters with God and, and their name will get changed. There was this guy persecuting the Christian church by the name of Saul, and God changed his name to Paul. Exactly right. Why? Because his character, his being had been changed in a, in a powerful sort of way. And so when God says, I am Emmanuel, he's just not saying, here's a new name for you to learn. He is saying, I will never leave you. God with us. 
There's nothing you can do. It's literally the character, the person of, of Christ that says, I am with you no matter what. And so, so I, I just, it's just important that you un- understand this. Um, and, and so maybe other places in Scripture, he talks about that um, a mother is more likely to abandon children than God to abandon you. Now think about that for just a little bit. Now I, I know there are some crazy parents that abandon their children. But for the most part, if you threaten a mother's children, you're going to die. You know? We call it the mama bear syndrome around here, you know? It's just like, they're going to kill you. And I know, guys, we're bigger and stronger than women, but you threaten the children, it don't matter. She's going to kill you. That's just the way it is, you know? Why? Because she's with them. Her character is to protect them and to, to be there with them. And, and so next time you feel alone or you feel like God has abandoned you, would you just say, Emmanuel? Say, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with me. The very character, the very nature of God is to be with me. He will never abandon me. He'll never let me go. He'll never let me sink. Emmanuel, maybe you need to start your prayers with Emmanuel. I mean, I start my prayers with Heavenly Father, but that's just a pattern I learned from my own father. You can start your prayers all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of names for God in, in Scripture, you know? I, I, in fact, in some of the deep, dark moments, I say, Dad, you know, Heavenly Dad, because that's, that's a more intimate kind of way. Of, I don't do that in public, but, but I, you know, how you start your prayers in some ways matters. Emmanuel, when you're alone, when you feel abandoned, when it's not going well, start your prayers with Emmanuel, or just call out the name Emmanuel, or put on your speedometer Emmanuel to remind you God is with you. And the good news about this king, this Emmanuel, this God who is with us, this newborn king that's going to have a different kind of kingdom is this. Oh, next slide. Where, where the new king rules, there is shalom. There is peace where the kingdom of God rules. And the kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, right? You know, it's not geography. The kingdom isn't, you know, a county or a state or a nation. That's, that's not God's kingdom. God's kingdom, God's geography is our hearts. It's our inner being. And, and, and to those who follow him, to those who let him be king of their life, who give that geography to him, he brings shalom. He brings this peace in, in our lives. And, and so there's an interesting kind of image that's drawn with this idea of the king and Shalom and Emmanuel and all those sorts of things. So in the ancient world, people tended to live under a king. There was some sort of ruler over them, whether it was an area of geography or maybe it was a city-state, that kind of thing. There would be a king over them. And, and it wasn't uncommon for a lot of the kings to just be really bad guys. Not just, they're just selfish and, and all that. And so they would take advantage of the people. They would let pe- other people take advantage of the people. There was no justice. There was no peace. There was poverty. There was suffering. There was all of those sorts of things. And so we tend to think, you know, if someone took us over our country over, that would be a bad thing because we have a good country, right? But if you're living in a really bad situation, sometimes a new king taking over wasn't entirely a bad thing. And so the new king would come in and instead of being a bad king, he was the good king. And he would bring justice and get rid of those people that were abusing people. And he'd bring economic kind of health to the place. He would, he would care about how people were suffering. He'd make decisions in order to help the people. And, and so there's this kind of image in, in all of this that, that this new king, this king of peace, comes and takes over the real estate of our hearts that has been dark and broken and, and suffering and all of that. And he comes with this shalom. It's kind of that, you know, when it kind of works out, finally and you go, Ah, you know, you just, shalom. That the, the king brings his shalom to you. You want shalom in your life? You want peace in your life? 
Let God rule in your heart. Make Him king of your life. Switch allegiances from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This season is a season of light. And it's just, it's such a powerful thing that God can give to you. But you've got to let Him have your real estate of your heart. Philippians 4 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I, I love this, this passage of Scripture. Because it, it, it says, And the peace of God, which no one can understand, which, which makes no sense at all. Right? And, and you already, we talked about that. You know, it makes no sense that when someone has lost a child that they have peace or that they've lost their spouse or that they've lost someone else they loved or their life is blown up in some sort of way. And, and yet for followers of, of this God, of this new king, of this boy who will become king, for us, we have that. And it's completely contrary to, to understanding how, how this actually works. You can't understand. It doesn't make sense. In fact, in the early church, it was one of the things that would, that would often win people over. One of the stories of the early church is, is the Roman soldiers coming to Christ. And they came to Christ because when they were executing them and when they were uh, putting the, the Christians in all kinds of things, they said, they die so well. They, they, they literally, as you're raising your sword to, to whack off someone's head, they say, I forgive you. Peace. Peace. It's a crazy thing. It, it makes no sense at all. And, and so it is that in the deep waters of life, in the hardest times of life, that we discover and we embrace this, this shalom kind of thing that, that protects us and goes with us. Um, I, I love that last word, guard. We can back up one slide to the, to the guard one. Um, when I think about guard, I, I think about a childhood experience. Where I, where I grew up, I grew up in kind of the rural part of Grays Harbor, um, and we were forever walk, going out in the woods and doing all kinds of things in the, the larger neighborhood. And so when we, we were little, really little, my dad was concerned, especially about my sister, you know, that, that someone would try and harm her in some way. Apparently he wasn't concerned about me, but, but he was concerned about my sister, right? Because I was always running off in the woods doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and so he decided that the way that, that he could protect her, that he could guard her, was he bought a German shepherd puppy, Right? And that dog kind of grew up with her. And everywhere we went, that dog went with us. You know, it was just everywhere. Uh, and it was a pretty good-sized dog. Uh, and, and if you know anything about German Shepherds, German Shepherds are highly protective of the people they consider their master, right? They just, they, they're, they're friendly, they're warm dogs, but you do not want to threaten their master. And so the, Dad figured that, that my sister out running around, someone might try and take advantage of them. But my sister plus a large German Shepherd, nobody's messing with her, right? Because it's like, you do not want to get a piece. That dog guarded her. And so here's this deep theological insight that, that I've had um, uh, about this. And, and please don't tell my district superintendent or a theologian about this because they'll make fun of me. But I've decided this when it says, and the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. I think Shalom is a German shepherd. I think it's a spiritual German shepherd. It guards your hearts and your minds, okay? And, and guarding your heart is that emotional part of you that, that you, we, can, we as followers of Christ can go through the deep waters and yet we don't turn bitter. Why? Because we have shalom. It's guarded our heart. We, we don't think the, good, the bad thing is good, but we know that Christ is with us in the midst of that. And even for parents, when they come to a place of the most awful thing I think that could ever happen to you in life, which is to have to bury a child, that even in the midst of that, they know one day, 
one day we're going to see him again. Because, you know, there was Shalom in the Garden of Eden. You want to know where the other place Shalom is? Heaven. Heaven. In the midst of that, it guards our heart and it guards our minds. Often in those moments, people will say, why? Why? And I don't know why. I can't answer that. We live in a fallen world. I know that much. That's why bad things happen. But I don't know why that other stuff happens. But even in the midst of my questions, and I got lots of questions, man. When I get to heaven, Lord and I are going to have to spend a year or two together while we work through all of my questions. But I know I have shalom even when I don't understand. And so ultimately, shalom comes from placing our trust in God. Next slide. It's not about intellectual. It's not about motions. It's about trusting God with our lives and with our, our situation. Even now, in fact, if you want the shalom of Christ, put your trust in God. And I hope everyone who hears me has already done that. But I, I just want to say, if this morning you are hearing me and you don't have peace, if there's turmoil in your heart that's flowed over into your family maybe and the marriage is struggling or the relationship with the kids or parents or, or maybe some other way, you, you just know, you just know what's going on doesn't work and that you need shalom in your life, and you need shalom in your family. You need the peace of Christ in the midst of that. It's not that hard to find. You just have to put your trust, your faith, we sometimes say, but your trust in God. And you need to let Christ be the king of your life. You need to let him take over the real estate of who you are, and you need to follow him. And, and he will give you the blessing. When the king comes, that's the story of the shepherds. When the king comes, he blesses the people with shalom, with the peace of Christ. And he will bring that to you. In fact, Isaiah uh, 26 says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because they trust, sorry, I got an extra S in there, in you. Let's, let's read this together. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. You notice that? It's the mind. It's, the, it's not that you understand, but it is the focus. Having placed your trust in God, having given him the lordship of your life, having asked him to come in and make you a new creation and, and say, okay, I'm going to follow him now. Having done that, if you keep your mind on Christ, then it guards your heart. You know, it, it keeps you in perfect. And the word perfect there actually means complete peace. Not, not that it's without flaw, right? Because, like, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're really good and you've got this down. But sometimes I get to looking around at the world and I kind of lose my peace, you know? I do something crazy like watch the news. That'll disrupt you, you know? I, I, I look at those things. And so he said, keep your focus on Christ. Your trust is not in the news. Your trust is not in politicians. It's not in armies. It's not in medicine. It's not in any of those. Those are all, all good things. But, but our trust is in the Lord, Amen. And that's where we, we place our trust. And so I urge you, I urge you, and at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to place your trust in Christ and experience the peace that he, he brings for you. But there is a, a little bit of a warning in this. Uh, next slide. Shalom, and, shalom cannot exist at the expense of others. And this is kind of the way our world says to get peace, right? is to eliminate all the people in your life that are disruptive to your peace. You know, that, that guy that, you know, that just always upsets everything and wrecks everything you're doing at work and all, you like to just punch him in the nose. Let me, let me tell you, just, just so in case you're confused, 
Punching people in the nose rarely leads to peace, okay? It leads to more conflict. But, but there are people you like to, to push out of there. You, 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 cannot, you cannot gain the peace at the expense of others. You, you can't get peace financially by defrauding or stealing from others. You, you can't get peace emotionally by tearing other people down or, or pointing out all their flaws or trying to wreck their career. You can't get peace physically by punching someone in the nose. You can't gain God's peace by destroying other people's peace. Jesus never does it that way. In fact, Jesus' peace is just the opposite. He gained peace for us, not by harming us, but by dying for us. The upside-down kingdom, the God's way is different than, than our way. The way to peace is not to win. The way to peace is to trust in Christ. And so he challenges us to live differently in the world because of peace, because of shalom, because of the gift. Next slide. We are to bring God's peace, shalom, to a world trapped in turmoil and uncertainty. And this is the way it always works. God blesses us with with peace, and and then he asks us to go and uh, bless others with it. All of the blessings he pours into our lives, he blesses it so that we we can bless others with it. We, we sometimes, we get to thinking like, oh, God has blessed us with peace. How good we are. We are so better than everybody else. Look at our good lives, you know? Or God has blessed us with money. Or God has blessed us with intelligence. Or God has blessed us with, with strength or wisdom or power or whatever God has blessed into our life. And that's where the children of Israel went wrong. It was like, oh, God has blessed us. He must love us better than everybody else. God does not bless you just to bless you. God blesses you because he loves you and he wants you to bless others that he loves too and they may not know it yet. And the same is true with peace. He has given us peace and he he wants us uh, to bless others with that. This upside down kind of crazy sort of kingdom. Matthew 5 is great with this. Matthew uh, 5, the next slide. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. God. Now, the interesting sort of thing there is most people, when we read that, we read that, blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called the children of God. But that's not what it says. Peacekeepers and peacemakers are very different from one another. Peacekeepers are people that go around trying to keep everybody happy. You got to have the peace. Ooh, let's not talk about that. That'll get people upset. Well, better not talk about that. That'll get people upset, you know. And when people grouch at each other, you try and make peace and you try and move on. And, and peacekeepers exist in places that are for the most part, peaceful, because all you can do is keep the peace. But peacemakers, that's a whole other thing. You know where you find peacemakers? In war zones, in places where there is no peace, in places where there's conflict and pain and, and suffering and where people attack one another and people are breaking one another. In those places, you find the peacemakers because they go to a place with no peace in order to bring the shalom of God in order to bring the peace of Christ, to to bring that thing which they do not have. And rather than taking away something from them, trying to gain peace at the expense of others, he bids us do like he did, where he laid down his life for them and calls us to do the same. Blessed are the peacemakers. As he's talking to us, hey, you out there, we're supposed to be peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And that's interesting too. This is in the Beatitudes. Right, so everybody, they, they, blessed are these people, and then they get this thing, you know, blessed are these folks, and they will inherit the earth, and blessed are these folks, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Earth and heaven, that seems like a pretty good deal. All the peacemakers get is they get recognized as God's children. That's it. It's just recognition. 
Except I don't think this is just kind of the casual recognition. I think this is the recognition that only a parent tries, only a parent experiences. And that is when your kids do something that makes you enormously proud, and you go, that's my boy. That's my daughter. Hey, did you see what my daughter did? Did, did you see what, what, what my son did there? That was, oh, wasn't that cool when he did that, you know? That, that's what it is. That, that, that God has, don't you think God has those moments? God has emotions, I think. You know, when he looks down and he sees us going to war zones and to places where there is no peace and where there is struggle and bringing the peace of Christ into that place, that the Lord says, hey, devil, come here for me. You got to see this one down here. Look at this one. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's my kid. That's my kid right there. And, and kind of my new take on, you know, when, when you get, get to heaven and, and the, the scripture says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, maybe it'll go down like that. But I suspect it's going to go, Craig, my son, come here, come here. I'm so proud of you. That's what he's talking about when he says, you will be called the children of God. And the best news of all is in the midst of all those war zones, God's peace is for everyone. Next slide. That's the power of this story. It starts with the shepherds, the lowly, the downtrodden, the ones that don't matter, the folks that don't matter at all. God's peace is for them. Hey, it's, it's for the rich and the famous too, but, but it's the ones on the bottom that it's a struggle for. Hey, God's peace is, is for that guy that drives you crazy at work. God's peace is for those people that, that seem to destroy the peace. They, more than anyone, need peace. They need what Christ has to have. Even unimportant people like shepherds and people like me and people like you. God's peace is for everyone. 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 In fact, the early church, it was mostly peasants and sinners. You know, it was people at the bottom of society and people that, that maybe were tax collectors or other people that, that were involved in sort of things like that. And, and, and shepherds were regarded as lowly, you know. And it is interesting to me that Jesus took the title of good shepherd. Because in his day, that wasn't necessarily a, a title of esteem. Now we kind of, you know, shepherd is kind of regarded in this Kind of, you know, okay, that's an important sort of thing. But, but back then, it wasn't. To say he was the good shepherd was, people were like, why would you want to call yourself a shepherd, you know? And yet, shalom is what it's all about, that it's for everyone, even the people that we don't think count. So ultimately, next slide, God wants to bring shalom into your life and your family and your world. And Carrie, if the musicians would come, would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Close your eyes. Let me ask you the most important question of this entire sermon. Do you have shalom in your life? Do you have the peace that is real even in the darkest moments? Or are you filled with fear and worry and anxiety? Pandemic is going crazy. Politics is nuts. The economy is tanking. My family is falling apart. My relationships with people that should really matter are being broken. Would you let Christ into your life this morning? Let this king that we waited so long for, this king that's born as a, a child that will become the prince of peace, let him in and let him clean up your life. Sometimes people think they've got to clean up their life before Jesus gets there. <laughs> Jesus is the one that will clean it up for you. Just trust him. That's why we talk about trust so much. Let him come in and create shalom in the heart first. And then he can create shalom in the world around him.
We're going to sing a song in just a minute, and I'm going to pray. It's a wonderful, wonderful chorus about peace that has meant a lot to me. And in some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I would literally sit at the piano and play this chorus over and over again and sing. I don't sing well, so we did it with no one around. But, but it, it's just become really important to me. The words go like this. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. And we're going to sing this in a minute, and I hope most of you are singing that as a testimony of what God has done. But maybe for some of you, it's a prayer that you would ask God's peace to come into your life and that it would flow over you as the Spirit, sweep over my spirit forever. I used to live at the beach and the waves would sweep over you. I kind of, that's kind of the image I get. Let Christ's peace sweep over you. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, I know most of the people hearing me today are saying yay and amen, that they have experienced your shalom in the deep darkness of life, that peace that makes no sense at all, but it's there, and we are so thankful for it. I pray especially right now for that one for whom they know they need peace, even though maybe they've made it look really good on the outside, on the inside there's a war going on. And they are struggling and the, the war keeps leaking out into relationships around them and breaking things in their life, Father. And, and they're tired of it and they're, they're ready to, to let you take control, Father. I pray that just even right now, and if you're in that place, just, just pray with me. Emmanuel, come into my life. Give me the peace I've heard about today. Take charge of my life and be king. Forgive me for my past. And I ask this in Jesus' name.